in First Thessalonians 5 and really uh, the, the weeks, the two weeks prior to last week's study, they're all revolving around the coming of the Lord. And we've established biblically that the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, it's not a singular event, it's not a singular day, it's a series of events that happens over a series of days. We always look at the context of the scripture to see when it says a day, are they referring to a 24-hour period of time, like creation, where it says there was evening, there was morning, it was the first day, or is there a, is there a broader picture being painted? And we see that being the case with the day of the Lord. We saw last week again, and we see these uh, truths throughout the scripture that the Bible talks about times and seasons. At Matthew 24 and Luke 21, with all of the discourse, remember the disciples asked, what will be the signs of his coming in the end of the age? And the Lord paints a lot of signs there. And we know there's five times more prophecy about his second coming than his first coming. And so we, we talked about that last week and talked about the fact that no doubt Paul had already versed this young church that he was with for three weeks about the coming of the Lord. No doubt talked about signs and seasons. And yet at the beginning of chapter five here, he says that, that concerning the times and seasons, I don't have need to write to you. And it seems he's saying that because he's already talked to them about that, but more so because of what he says next, you know full well the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. So that's not a discouragement not to talk about signs and seasons to be aware. Remember, we saw that those that understood the times of Scripture were committed, and those that could not discern the times were always rebuked. But more so, he was saying, with all of that out there and the truth of all these things, the center of your eschatology, and eschatology is just a fancy word for end times events, the coming of the Lord, and needs to center around this one truth. Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. You need to always watch. You always need to be ready. And that should be the center of our eschatology. Whether you're pre-trib, pre-wrath, mid-trib, post-trib, if you're like, I don't know what a trib is, listen, is the center of your eschatology, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. Because if that's not the center of it, your, your eschatology's off, period. This stuff's going to unfold the way it's going to unfold. Listen, I lean to a pre-trib rapture, and we've talked about that and so forth, but it's going to unfold the way it's going to unfold. The center of eschatology better be, he's coming like a thief in the night. He said, always watch, always be ready. Are we looking? Are we watching today? Because that's going to affect how we're living now. And this truth's been for every generation. So we talked about that last week. In chapter 4, it talks about the coming of the Lord for the church. He says, no, he's coming like a thief. And then we saw last week in him writing these things in order, he says, they, and we'll differentiate this morning between the we, the brethren, and they, he says, they are going to say peace and safety. And then sudden destruction will come upon them. And he's talking about the kickoff of the tribulation that we read about in Daniel and Revelation and other places in the Bible where this uh, imposter is going to come claiming he's the Christ. He has all the answers, and our world's right for an individual like that today. And there's going to be a covenant made, peace in the Middle East, and they're going to say, peace and safety, finally, kumbaya, set in the age of Aquarius. And then he says, sudden destruction comes upon them. We talked about that last week. We, we saw wrath poured out during the tribulation. And then last week we also saw, but we are not of the darkness that the day should take us like a thief, but we're of the light. And then we skipped ahead and saw verse 9 where he says we're not appointed to wrath. And so we talked about that last week. This morning we're going to build on that. We're going to build 
really picking up things in verse 4, that we're not of the darkness, that in Christ Jesus we're sons and daughters of light, sons and daughters of the day, and in that we're not called to slumber, but to be watchful. And he says those that sleep generally sleep at night, those that get drunk generally get drunk at night. Again, those that don't know the Lord, they're of the darkness, they're of the night, but we're of the day. So what's that mean? We're to be sober, we're to be alert, we're to be about the business of the Lord. We're talking about that this morning, and then again, we're going to talk about the fact we're not appointed to wrath, but absolutely we're appointed to salvation. And that really begins to set up the closing remarks, which we probably about seven, eight more weeks in, in First Thessalonians, there are a lot of rich things But a few verses after this, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And listen, to have the comfort and hope to know where we're going, that we're appointed to salvation, not to wrath. We can rejoice in all things. Be thankful in all things. Because again, this is is all being brought together. We take it all in context. So with all that said, let's read verses 1 down through 10. And then we're going to jump up to verse 4. Build on what we looked at last week and just take this verse by verse. And then after our study, we're going to have a, a time of communion uh, and close with the last couple songs. So he says, but, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, And as a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now again, verse four, he says, but you brother, he's talking about they, he's talking about them. They're going to say peace and safety, sudden destruction is going to come upon them. They walk in the darkness. Those that sleep, sleep at night. Those that get drunk, get drunk at night. Again, they're in darkness, so spiritually they're asleep. Spiritually they are drunk. They're not sober-minded. They're not in the light of Christ. He says they're not going to escape that destruction. Now, there is an escape through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about those in that place and those that continue in that place. And then he differentiates. He says, but you, brother. There's the they and there's the but you, the we, the us. And he's talking about those that have come to the light. Those that have put faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those that have acknowledged, I'm a sinner. I'm under the wrath of God in my sin, under the law. It shows me I'm under his wrath, but I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And he rose from the grave, from the dead, and defeated sin and death and Satan. And I've put my faith in him to be my Lord and Savior And when that happens, we get grafted into the family of God. We now have right relationship with him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now we are under grace. We're no longer under the law that condemns us. Now we're under grace that saves us. Is that you this morning? Can you say amen to that? He says, listen, 
we're, we're of the light and now we're called to walk in the light. We're called to abound in it. We know that for us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We rest in the hope and comfort of the resurrection and the rapture. That if we pass away today, our spirit goes to be with them. Our body goes to the grave. When he comes back, those in Christ come back with them. Their bodies are resurrected and transformed. Uh, immortality swallows up mortality. And if, if by, by you know, God's divine grace, we're alive and remain, then we don't precede them, but we're caught up in the air after them and transformed in the twinkling of an eye. We saw that in chapter four, that word caught up. It means to be snatched away. And we saw all the various, even raptures from Enoch to Elijah and even Jesus himself ascended in Revelation it says the child was caught up and so again we have that hope that's who we are we're not appointed to wrath but appointed to salvation the we versus the they and so he says but you brethren are not in darkness so they are in darkness they walk in darkness they're not of the night they're of 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 the darkness they're not of of the day they're of the night but that's not us and why because we've come to the light again we all were in the darkness at one point the bible makes that clear we're born with a sin nature now a child's under the grace of god until that age of accountability um, but that doesn't mean we don't evangelize our kids until we think well, we think they're accountable now listen we evangelize them from the beginning uh, but we're all born with a sin nature we all need to come to christ and indeed, those that, that have called upon his name have gone from darkness that have come into the light. Scripture on this, Jesus' words in John three sixteen through 21. I encourage you to just drink this in and consider it. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Probably the most quoted scripture in the Bible. What a glorious one it is. And then in verse 17, he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Men, men are in sin. They're under condemnation. Jesus didn't have to come to condemn that which is already condemned. If you're condemned, a double condemning makes no difference. You're already condemned. He came to make a way of salvation. Verse 19, and this is condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And that's the difference, the they and the we. We are all in darkness, all in our sin. The light came into the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit convicts every soul of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Listen, when people respond to that, where the gospel maybe isn't as prevalent as here, the Lord always will send someone to them with the gospel. That's a biblical truth. That's a truth we're seeing unfolded in the world today. For years, people talk about the 1040 window and the gospel. Listen, the biggest revival in the world is happening in the 1040 window with, in, in Iran today. A lot of that was people just responding to the Holy Spirit and God saying, go over here and someone telling them the gospel and them getting born again and saved. And so the Lord draws those that respond into the light. And he talks about these other people, though. They love darkness. They want to be their own God. 
They want to do as thou wilt. Some of those practicing, even by man's standards, gross sin. And others, listen, by God's standards, practicing probably a grosser sin, self-righteousness. I'm good enough. I don't need to come to the light. Listen, that, that, that false gospel is probably going to send more people to hell than any of the other ones. They don't come to the light, but we've come to the light. We've come to the light in honesty. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm darkness. I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed. Forgive me. Wash me. Be my Lord and Savior. And then from there, and Paul is really emphasizing this in this passage, we have a call to walk in the light. And listen, that same grace that saves you is God's divine influence to help you walk in the light, to abound in the Lord, to grow in him. Notice 1 John 1, 5. And this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light in him is no darkness of all, at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. If we want to practice truth. We want to abound in truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Listen, the Lord saves us and brings us into the light. Listen, not for us to say, okay, I'm saved now. I want to go back and walk in the darkness. No, he says, now come walk with me. Go fellowship with me. Let's fellowship with one another in the light of Jesus Christ according to the scripture. That's the call on us once we come to the light. So he says, listen, they're in darkness, but we're of the light. We're of the day. And in that, the day should not overtake you as a thief. If Jesus is your Lord, you've been called to the light. And if you're walking in the light, it's not going to come upon you as a surprise. Now, it could come upon you as a surprise if you think that you're of the light and you're really of the darkness. And this is something the Bible brings up over and over again. This is why we're to judge ourselves. Am I really in Christ? Is, my, is he my Lord and Savior? Now, again, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Have I really trusted in him? Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Notice the Lord says, many in that day are going to say, not a few. Many will say, Lord, Lord, we did all this stuff. And he says, depart from me. I don't know you. You practice lawlessness. And lawlessness, again, can be the rank, gross, uncenter according to man's standards who doesn't come to Christ. But in this case, it seems to be more those that say, hey, we did all this stuff. Doesn't that give us interest into heaven? We cast out demons and we threw out a few prophecies. So let us in. They don't say, Jesus, we call on your name. You're our Lord and Savior. You're the door. We put our faith in you. That's the will of the Father that we'd walk by faith, right? Faith in calling on him and then faith in walking in him. They didn't practice that. They declare we did all this stuff. Listen, there's a bunch of people around today saying they're prophets. Test them. Is what they're saying biblical? Does it all line up with scripture? All of it if they're predicting the future. If it's not, they're a false prophet by God's standards. So we put our faith in him. Judge yourself as your faith in him. Are you leaning on your own righteousness? Or is it Jesus plus a little of your own righteousness? That's a false gospel as well. Go read the book of Galatians. It's him and him alone. But there's going to be many. The day's going to come as a surprise. Because they think they're in the light. 
but they're not in the darkness. Now, I don't say that to, to alarm someone that's really in the Lord, but absolutely, Jesus said it to sound an alarm for any that think they're in the Lord and they're not in the Lord. You want to get that straightened out on this side of eternity, amen? And then from there, again, we're called to walk in the light. And if you're in the light, but you're not walking in the light, if you're choosing instead to walk in darkness and dabble in darkness, instead of walking in the light, saying, I want to fellowship with the Lord, I want to be honest with the Lord, I want to bring my struggles to the Lord. That's part of, we're a work in progress, right? It's part of walking in the light. Lord, here I am, I need your help. Search me and know me, God. Listen, you can fall down in the light and the Lord picks you right up. But if, if you're of the light, you've trusted in the Lord, but you're choosing to walk and dabble in darkness, that day will come on you as a surprise as well, and God doesn't want that. Again, Jesus said in Luke 21, 34, we looked at this verse a few times. He says, but take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and the day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Don't let your heart get weighed down with the cares of this life. Drunkenness, listen, this isn't necessarily a reference to alcohol, but drunkenness is when you're not thinking with a sober mind. Carousing, it's just a picture of, hey, I'm just here to live for my pleasures versus I want to live for the Lord. And listen, there are cares in life, aren't there? I, some of you guys got cares right now. I don't always want to just judge what's going on in people's life by their face, but I, I see people at times coming in and by their face, I can tell there's a lot of cares, but we want to cast those cares upon him. We don't bring those things before the Lord versus just being bogged down with those things because he says, when we're in that place, not walking the light, the day will come again on us unexpectedly. Now listen, if you're in Christ, you're going no matter what. You know, maybe you heard growing up, if you're in the theater and the Lord comes, you're not going. Your grandma might have told you that. She didn't know her, her, listen, her theology was whack if she told you that. Grandma, your theology's whack. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You're no longer in the law. You're under grace and you're going. And it might be like Lot, the Lord has to peel your fingers off Sodom and take you. Or it might be like Enoch, who God peeled the fingers of the world off him and took him. Enoch and Elijah, but you're going. And again, count worthy escape, that true calling upon Christ as Lord. But listen, also, the Bible, and in this epistle, he talks about walking worthy of the call of Christ. And think about it. We want to be counted worthy in the sense of walking worthy of that call. Now, the only thing that makes us worthy is the Lord. But again, in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, on the Olivet Discourse, when the Lord talks about his coming in Matthew 25, he talks about a master, and he gave talents uh, to his servants to invest. And two came back and had invested those things and had a larger investment. And he said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You know, come on in. The other servant came and buried those things. And he said, you're a wicked and lazy servant. Now, he's still the servant. But again, we want to be in that place where we're walking worthy of the call of Christ. He's the only one that makes us worthy. Let's not confuse that. But are we walking worthy of the call? Are we going to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant? 
Or he's going to say, you're a wicked and lazy servant. Who wants to hear that? So this is a stirring here. The day shouldn't overtake us like a thief. We're not in the darkness. And again, those that follow the Lord believe his word. We take up our cross. We follow him. And with that in mind, again, let's, we talked about it last week. Let's revisit kind of the central part of this. I'm coming like a thief. And I thought about this this week. I, I thought about this illustration, this teaching that Jesus brought, as well as Paul's bringing here, building upon the words of the Lord that he's coming like a thief. How would you think of that in, in again, uh, the first century versus maybe the West today? Um, you know what? There's tons of commercials and stuff on burglars and that kind of thing. And I think a lot of people, their minds say, well, if a thief comes in the middle of the night, I'll just pick up my, my phone and dial 911. Listen, in first century Galilee, there was no 911. Or maybe they think, you know what, I got a really secure house. I've been to Israel multiple times. The, the ruins there, you know, they did their best, but they weren't built like our houses today for security. Or maybe back then, you know, they, they did have weapons, uh, but there's a big difference uh, between a knife and a Glock. The great equalizer, right? Where six men could come in, and if a 90-pound woman pulls out a gun, guess what? We're on an even, even playing field today. They didn't have that back then. And think about this, a thief in the night. It, you know, we, we, we get a lot of images put into our heads and I think when we think of a thief in the night we think of maybe the hamburglar you know uh, from McDonald's the guy with the mask on he's kind of funny with a big bag and he's going to run in and you know keystone cops type of thing and steal some stuff and kind of trip on the way out and so forth most real thieves that come in the night have a brutal nature and we don't know if they're coming to steal the gold under our mattress or steal our children off their mattress now begin to think of this illustration I don't got a 911. I don't got a Glock. I, I, I don't have that secure of a house. And it's one thing if they take my gold, but what if they take my child? Now is your heart stirred at the words of the Lord? I'm coming like a thief in the night. I think they had a, a, a different mindset of thieves coming in the night. Some of us have that mindset. Listen, my earliest memories are our houses being broken in, our house being broken in multiple times and and assaults upon our family and so forth, I, 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 that gets ingrained in you. That gets ingrained in you. It's kind of a different mindset. I'm the guy that, you know what? The doors are locked. Jesus said if the master of the house knew when the thief was coming, he's going to be ready for him. Not to reason with him or, you know what, to be a pacifist and suck his thumb in the corner while the guy steals all his stuff and brutalizes his family and then does it to the neighbor next door. That's not Christianity. I know that's real popular to be taught today by effeminate pastors that you take the fetal position and suck your thumb if your family's being attacked. The Lord says he'd be ready. He'd be ready to go. There'd be a sense of urgency in him. And think about this today. If we knew there were thieves coming around with that mentality, I can't pick up 911. I don't have my, you know what, my gun. Um... They can come at any time and they're coming for my children. Would that not stir your heart to be ready? You better be ready. If you weren't ready for that, you weren't worth your salt. These are your children. This is, this is your spouses. These are things that we are called 
by God to be the magistrates over to protect. If we don't provide for our own household, we're worse than an unbeliever, the Bible says. And so now take that illustration. Sons of the light, walking light. The Lord says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. That should affect the way that we are living. A sense of urgency put into our hearts. Let's be about the business of God Almighty. He's coming. And again, the Bible talks about the way we live here is going to dictate crowns and rewards there. I don't know how that's going to work out. I know there won't be a jealousy. I know there won't be an envy and that sort of thing. But the Bible talks about this over and over again. Verse 5, he says, you are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Now, again, we already read there in 1 John that God is light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. If we want to walk in the light, then we're walking according to the word of God. Again, you want to know the God of the word, you better get into the word of God. And whether you know it or not, when you ask Jesus to be your Lord, you're saying, I want to be guided. I want to be governed by the Holy Spirit of God and by the word of God as rightly divided, as written. And so again, we're sons of the light. We're, we're, we're sons of God. We are sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. So we're called to shun the darkness. We're called to shun sin. And these types of exhortations are throughout the New Testament. Notice Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. I read this. I'm going to comment a little bit on it as I read it. He says, you were once darkness, not just in darkness, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So we were in our sin, now we're light in the Lord by his grace through faith in him, and he says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he says, finding out what's acceptable, acceptable to the Lord. Again, his words are light to my path. How do I find out what's acceptable to the Lord? I get in the word of God. I test things by what the scripture says, not by what my gut tells me or my neighbor or, you know, it's some money preacher on TBN or whatever else. What's God's word say? And then he says in verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It just seems like, you know, it seems like sometimes, sometimes things are seasonal and just a lot lately in dealing with people and seeing things, it seems there's a, a segment of Christianum that is wanting to fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness versus expose them and even trying to Christianize them. There's a group, I guess they're associated with Bethel Church, Bill Johnson up in Reading, that now they're doing Christian tarot cards. They don't call it that, but it's the exact same thing. And they're going to take the cards, they're going to tell you your future from these different cards. And, and predominantly, that whole group, they practice divination. It's loaded with false prophets, you know, when, when Bill Johnson says Jesus ceased being God when he was on earth, that's a different Jesus. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Tons of problems. When you're running through fire circles and, you know, visiting graves to suck up the anointing of Amy Simple McPherson and such, that's some whack theology. But again, it, it just keeps going. So now we're going to, instead of the unfruitful darkness of tarot, court, tarot cards and the occult, we're going to Christianize it. Let's have some fellowship with it. We talked about it in the times past. And listen, as I say this, I know there's people that, that, that practice this. 
I don't say this to drive you out of the church or to make you, you know, feel like I can't go back there, but to drive you to study to show yourself approved. This whole idea of Christian yoga, that's nonsense. Yoga means to be yoked with a Hindu God, period. You get yoked up with a demon. Any yogi will tell you, you cannot have Hinduism without yoga. You cannot have yoga without Hinduism. But we want to come and again, mix them. He says, have no fellowship with that, but rather expose it. Listen, there's many ways you can exercise, okay? You can stretch. You can, there's all kinds of things you can do. And listen, I'll tell you something practically. Long-term, yoga jacks a lot of people up. Please go do your research. It messes a lot of people up long-term. There's a demonic element to it. So I'll practice Christian yoga. So I'm on one hand, I'll get yoked up with the Lord. And on the other hand, I'll get yoked up with a Hindu God. It don't work that way. He says, have no fellowship without expose that stuff. And of course, this could go on and on and on again. All kinds of applications there. That just comes to my mind because it's just been so prevalent lately in some conversations. He says, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, and whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So in other words, it's a call to wake up. It's a call to, again, have no fellowship with unfruitful works, but to abound in the Lord, even expose that stuff. Even, listen, sometimes you expose this stuff, some people get disgruntled, upset. There, there may be a few of you upset with me right now. Oh, you know what, talking about some of these things. I'm, I'm here to, to, to represent the scriptures, not to tickle ears in that. And again, it's not being said to try to, you know what, look down on anyone or drive anyone out, but to drive people to study. What's God's word say? What's the scripture say? Not what does someone say, what does the Bible say about these things? So God's called us to rest in his light, abound in his light. We're not of the darkness. Now, again, he, he, it's not a call for an occasional check-in. To say, well, I'm in the light. I did my Sunday morning check-in. Now I'm going to go walk in darkness. I'll check back in. Notice Romans 6, 1 through 4. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so, we should walk in newness of life. We're saved by grace through faith, but now we're called to walk in newness of life. And that same grace that saves you is God's divine influence to help you to walk in that. We say amen to that this morning. Amen. Listen, an example of that, Acts 19, 18, Paul goes and preaches the gospel. He says, as many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. This was in Ephesus. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Listen, they came to the light, and they said, now we want to walk in the light. And they said, we have this practice of magic, of the occult. We don't want to walk in that anymore, so what do we do with this stuff? Listen, so it's not a temptation. Let's just go burn it all. But that costs a lot of money. Well, so what? Jesus shed his blood so we could be saved. And that's more valuable than 50,000 pieces of silver. Let's walk in the light. Let's just get that out of here. Let's just get it off the table that we could abound in him. The Lord's called us again to do the same. 
Let's walk in the light. Let's not be like those that are of the darkness. Verse 6, he says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Again, throughout the New Testament, we see this call over and over again to wake up, to get up, to be watchful, to be alert, to be watchful in our prayers, to be watchful in our life, and so forth. Notice Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. He says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. What day? The day of the Lord. It's at hand. You're like, that was written 2,000 years ago. Remember what Peter said to the Lord? A day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his coming, but he's long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. He's coming. The day's at hand. Therefore, let us, notice here, cast off works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust, strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the, to fulfill its lust. So again, we come to Christ, we're in the light. Now the Lord says, let's walk in the light. Let's put on Jesus. Let's not make provision for these things. There in Ephesus, when they burned all those books they said it was done because they said, we don't want to make provision for this anymore. And if this stuff's around my house, in a weak moment, I might go and try to cast a spell on my neighbor who irritated me. No, I need to pray for that neighbor. I need to pray God will bless my neighbor, not put a curse on him. So let's, let's get this stuff out. Let's walk in newness of life. Let's abound in the Lord. He says, let's not sleep as others do. And the Lord, again, there on the all of a discourse in Matthew 25 he compared his coming, and we, we talked about this again the last couple of weeks, to a bridegroom. And remember in that day, there was engagement, and then they would get betrothed, and then they, then they would get married. But once they were betrothed, it was the same as marriage. The marriage just hadn't been consummated yet, but there was a lifelong commitment. And in that day, what would happen, they'd be betrothed, and then the groom, over the next year, on one of those nights, at an unannounced time, he was going to come for his bride. Now, I, I think most guys probably act, lasted two or three days and they came. But Jesus tells an illustration of someone, you know what, maybe it was deep into the year. And it says that all of, the, there were ten, ten brides, they all fell asleep. And then at midnight, there was a cry, you know, here comes the bridegroom. And remember, five had oil on their lamps, the other five didn't. The five without the oil said, give us oil. But the point of it is they all slumbered and slept, all of them. So any of us can slumber and sleep at any time. I think it can happen easily. We grow complacent, weary, lukewarm. We grow weary about hearing about the coming of the Lord. We talked about the danger. Listen, we're known to signs and seasons, and absolutely we can talk about these things, but make sure you don't grow weary of it because the Lord said he's coming like a thief. And maybe to, even today you're like, I'm weary of hearing about this. The Lord's coming like a thief. He says, wake up. Let's not be like others that fall asleep that grow lukewarm, that grow complacent. Because you know what happens when we sleep? When we sleep, I'm going to give you a little rhyme here. When we sleep, the enemy creeps. He wants to imitate the Lord and all the Lord does. The Lord says, I'm coming like a thief. Well, listen, when we sleep, the enemy wants to creep like a thief. Jesus talked about, uh, you know, at the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13, 24, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. 
And then in Matthew 13, 33, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal till it was all leaven. Leaven and terrors are a picture of sin. And when we sleep, the enemy creeps, and you're like, maybe you're like, but I'm saved, I'm good. Well, listen, th- those terrors and that leaven get sowed not only in your own life, but into your home, into a local fellowship, and so forth. Let me ask you, is everyone's children here born again and sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ? It's all the more you need to be awake than praying because the enemy is creeping, wanting to sow tares and leaven into their lives and so forth. And we're called to be watchmen. We're called to be intercessors. The loved ones in your life, so on and so forth. Are you sleeping and allowing the enemy to creep? Or are you awake saying, I want to be about the business of God because he delays his coming, not wanting people to go to hell. He wants them to get born again. So again, we have a call to watch. We have a call to be sober. And listen, the easiest way to watch, as he talks about here, is to get your eyes on Jesus Christ. I won't read it, but Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it it talks about casting off the sin that easily ensnares us and getting our eyes on Jesus, who went to the cross for the joy set before him. I guarantee you what you have your eyes on, what your life is fixated on, it is going to either reflect the light of the Lord or the darkness of the world. Versus saying, I want to get my eyes on Jesus first. And whatever's in my life, I want to put the Lord first in it. There's things we're we're called to do. There's things we're involved in. This isn't a call to go live in a commune somewhere. We're to be in the world, but not of it. But is Jesus first in it? Notice Luke 11, 33 through 36. He says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see it. And then in 34, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. So in other words, whatever your eye is on, it's going to reflect what's coming out of your life. Are your eyes on Jesus? Are you looking to him? Are you filtering the cares of the life through the Lord, bringing them to the Lord? Or are you just immersed in it? You're like, well, it's not bad stuff. But listen, if it's the Lord's not first, it's an idol. And then he says here, therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. So in other words, check yourself. Are my eyes on him? Verse 7, he says, those who sleep, sleep at night. Those that get drunk, get drunk at night. And again, generally, people sleep at night. Now, I know some people work at night, but generally people sleep at night. Even the way our, our bodies are, you know what, we can recondition them but generally our bodies even produce chemicals at night that help us sleep and so forth melatonin you can you know you can get pill i took a melatonin last night to help me go to sleep it didn't even work i'm still wired up right now and i could care less about the super bowl if you're thinking about that but generally you sleep you sleep at night you get drunk usually it's at night you know there's some exceptions to that, but he's talking about the world here. They're in the darkness, so they're asleep. They're in the darkness, so they're not sober, they're drunk. That shouldn't be us. We're called to be awake. We're called to be watchful. Now notice verse 8. Again, but let us who are the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. Now notice, a breastplate and a helmet, you put those on when you go to battle, right? 
I mowed the lawn yesterday. I didn't put on a breastplate and a helmet. I'd probably be on YouTube right now if I would have done that. I had a t-shirt and a baseball cap on, but I, you know what? This speaks of, of, of warfare. And you know where most spiritual warfare takes place? Right between these two ears on our head. So be sober in your thinking. Notice 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And boy, there's a lot today that does that, right? We got truth, we got the knowledge of God, and things that exalt themselves over it. Oh, God's not right, we're right. You know, God said if you eat of that tree, you won't die, you'll be like God. What's he say here? He says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So being sober-minded means I take every thought captive to the scripture. What's God's word say about this? And if it's contrary to God's word, I punish it. I don't let it rule in my life. I don't feed it. I don't let it fester. I kick it to the curb and say, this isn't God's will for me. God hasn't called me to this. This might seem like honey on my lips, but if I consume this, it's going to turn sour in my gut. And generally, honey on your lips lasts for a second, but sourness in your gut can last a day, right? A couple days and whatnot. So I take those thoughts captive. I'm sober-minded. What's the scripture say? What's God say? What does the Lord call me to? And I'm going to tell you, God's word has the power to put those thoughts down. But it is a warfare, and we have an enemy that is tenacious, and he'll keep coming back. So again, we're sober-minded. Then the breastplate and the helmet, it's a picture of warfare, but it's a call to walk in faith and love and the hope of our salvation. We walk by faith. It's interesting in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, how so much this ties into our passage here in Thessalonians. He says, so we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's what he's talking about here, being present with the Lord, the Lord coming back. And he says, we're confident in this, so we walk by faith knowing this. And let me tell you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I know we're all getting older, and some of us are in the place where, like, we're in the second half of our life. You know what? We're getting closer to our life being over, but if you're in Christ, your life's just begun. And to be absent from the body is just to be present with the Lord. And you'll be reunited with that body at the resurrection and the rapture. We need to have that mindset. We walk by faith confidently knowing that. So let's start living with an eternal view now. He also says, again, to walk in and by love. We've talked a lot about this in our study in Thessalonians. We know in 1 John, we read, we love him because he first loved us. This all starts with knowing the love of the Lord. And then we also saw there in 1 John 5, 2, and 3, and we've talked about this in the call to walk in the commands of God. How do we know we're loving God and others? We're walking in his commands. Part of his commands is just being honest and humble with them, growing in them. Listen, the Lord knows we have a war and our, our members against our soul, but it's just bringing that before the Lord, saying, I'm going to walk in the Thank you for your grace, God. I want to abound it. I want to, to, to abound in that love. And then he says here, 
we walk in the hope of our salvation, which he declares in verse 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Again, they, them, they're going to say peace and safety and sudden destruction. But us, we're not appointed to that wrath. We're not appointed to eternal hell because we're under the grace of God. And if they want to reject the grace of God, they're under condemnation. But Jesus didn't come to condemn what was already condemned. He came to save it. But in Christ, you're not under that wrath. You are under grace. We're not appointed to it. Isn't that a wonderful thing this morning to know? And then again, we read in Revelation about wrath and the tribulation. He says we're not appointed to that. Now, some people say, well, I'm not pre-trib. I think we're going to go through it, but we'll be sheltered from the wrath. Listen, whatever does your eschatology revolve around looking for Jesus coming like a thief in the night? That's what I ask you. Because most posts and mid-trib people I find are looking more for an antichrist than the Christ. And we need to look for him. And we're not appointed to wrath, but again, unto salvation. John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So we're not appointed to that, but salvation through Jesus Christ, who again died for us. He took the wrath to us. He rose from the grave. That whether we wake or sleep, so whether we're alive or we're dead, we live together with him. So it's just a continuation. If you're in Christ this morning, you're living with the Lord. The Lord is with you. And when we die, we're going to continue to live together with the Lord. In spirit, and then again, at the resurrection, the rapture, the body will be transformed. And that will be a glorious thing. And we've, we talked a little bit about that, what that body will be like. We look at Jesus' resurrected body. You can touch it. You can feel it. They sat and they ate uh, 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 you know, a, f- a fish uh, meal together. Remember when the Lord told Peter, try the other side and got all the fish over there. And yet he could just come through a wall and appear and then he ascended to heaven. Trip out on that. You should trip out on it in a good way. Wow, that's awesome. What a glorious thing. And we'll be together with him forever. He says, whether we're alive or we sleep. Again, it's a reference to here on earth, whether we're alive or dead, we're together with him. We have reason to rejoice, amen? Amen. We have reason to give thanks. And we also have reason to pray without ceasing because there's many around us that are in darkness that the Lord wants to bring into the light. And the Lord loves those people tremendously. That's why he sent his son. Listen, let's stand up. We're gonna close with communion. Try to finish well here this morning. Invite the ushers to come up. You guys want to make your way up. Um, what we're going to do, I want to read just one passage here out of Romans. Remember, we're partaking in remembrance of the Lord's body broken and his blood shed. We talked a lot about it this morning. And then after I read this and we pray, they're going to pass out communion and... Um, you can partake as you're led, and we're going to close with the last couple songs, and then, then we'll, we'll finish up uh, right after that. But Romans 5, 18 through 21, 
And we read the passage that came after that in our study that we should walk in newness of life. But before that, he says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. When Adam sinned, mankind, mankind took on a sin nature, condemnation. Listen, God's just. And a just judge is going to punish incorrectly. That Larry Nasser, if you follow any of that, would anyone say a loving judge would let him off? Did we all not identify with the father that says, give me five minutes with this guy? <laughs> oh, but a loving judge would let Larry off. I praise God for the little gymnast that got up there and preached the gospel to him. Did you see that? Wasn't that awesome? And I hope the man repents. But sin brought condemnation. And a loving judge is going to deal with sin. We have that sin nature. But he says, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to, came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Christ went to pay the penalty of the sin, to build the bridge back to God Almighty through his righteous act. He says in verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. The law shows us we're sinners. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. How? Through the Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus our Lord. And communion is remembering what he did, that righteous act. He took the wrath to us in his body. He said, I'll be a substitute. He shed his blood, life's in the blood, that we could be covered by his life. Go from the law that he fulfilled to go under grace, to know we're saved, we are righteous, we're in right standing positionally. Now we have the call to walk in that, again, practically. We want to partake in remembrance of that. Let's do it with a heart of reverence. Let's do it with a heart of celebration. And let's do it with a heart of honesty. If there's things you need to lay before him, do that this morning. Be truthful with him. If it's just stuff, you're like, I, I got to get this out of him. Bring it before him. He's your heavenly father. He loves you. And so, Lord, as we pass out communion and partake, let us, God, partake in a manner that just is rejoicing in you, that celebrates you. Meet us where we're at in a, in a, in a phenomenal manner right now. And let us lift our voices to you in praise. And, God, as we're gathered together here, Lord, to finish well together and, and again, to to abound in you throughout this week, God. And so we just thank you for who you are. And listen, if you haven't called on the name of the Lord, today's the day of salvation. Communion is for believers, but that doesn't mean you can't call on him right now and partake. Again, it's a matter of confessing our sin and repentance and saying, I, I, I want to come out of the darkness. I want to be in the light. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to shine your light on me. And listen, in, in the scripture, those salvation prayers, it, it, it's simple prayers of be merciful to me, a sinner. Remember me, Lord. Meet me where I'm at. The Lord, listen, he hears the cry of the heart. Call on him and he'll meet you where you are. He'll save you right now. He wants to. He longs to. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. You can be seated. Again, you can partake as you're led when you get your communion. We'll close here with the last few songs and then prayer. I will boast only in the cross where my Savior 
bless you. Pray have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.